become spellweavers, reavers, rogues, and men-at-arms, and answer the call of adventure. Pick up your sword, your axe, your spellbook, your bow, your rulebook, and your dice, and join the forces of good in their eternal fight against vile monsters, conspiring min-maxers, horny bards, and blood-soaked murder hobos. Discover the treasure trove of role-playing games here on Rollin' Bones. My name is Ryan Howard, and I shall be your guide. Good evening, Boneheads, and welcome back to Rolling Bones with Ryan Howard, where we are making old school young again. I'm your host and king of the Boneheads, Ryan Howard, and uh, this evening I am very excited to welcome back my friend, the basic expert. He has a fantastic game that is currently on Kickstarter with 19 days to go and fully funded, I might add, called Makalhitl. It is Aztec role-playing uh, with a, a white box engine. So those of you who are interested in white box D&D, interested in Aztecs, interested in Mesoamerica in general, uh, this will be a great project for you to back. It's really cool looking. He did the art, he did the writing. It's, you know, th this thing looks awesome. And I'll bring him on in just a second to talk about it. Before we do that, though, just want to go ahead and uh, pay some bills here, as if that actually uh, pays any bills doing this show. Remember to like, share, and subscribe if you enjoy the uh, content that I'm doing here. That's one of the best ways to support me. And uh, also, you can find me on various social media. I am on X and Instagram at Howard underscore Ryan Gregg. YouTube is Rolling Bones. Twitch is twitch.tv slash Rolling Bones Ryan. And Substack is rollingbones.substack.com. Uh, Substack is kind of my uh, my pet platform right now. I'm really enjoying uh, writing articles over there. In fact, uh, just yesterday, I wrote an article kind of featuring some of uh, Basic Experts' work here about rule-setting dynamic and how that kind of plays out, how I think that rules are the driving force of RPGs now and how I've come to that conclusion. Also want to remind everyone that if you like this show enough to uh, want to wear my logo around on your chest, uh, you can find that over on T Public. The link is here in chat. The Bonehead Emporium over on T Public is where you can find all of my merch. And uh, without further ado, let's go ahead and bring on the man of the hour. Uh, you guys know him from Natural Ones. You know him from his YouTube channel, The Basic Expert. Many of you out there who are watching know him from his infamous Gilded server, where we have lots of good times. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to Rolling Bones, the basic expert. Thanks for having me on, man. It's always a on. pleasure to be on Rolling Bones. <laughs> no problem. I'm glad you were able to find time with all the interviews that you've been doing to, to come on here and talk about this. Yeah, always, of course. I'd love to talk about it, especially with you. I always, We always have good conversations. So, <laughs> So... To kind of begin this conversation here, uh, for those who don't already know, I just want to kind of prime the pump by asking why role-playing in the Aztec Empire? What, what is it specifically about Aztec history that speaks to you? Uh, well, one, I mean, it's uh, part of my ancestry. So ever since I was a kid, like um, I've always been interested in the mythology and whatnot of, and, and um, stories and 
you know, it, as a little kid too, you know, this is a warrior society, a very like hard militarized warrior society. And that's very appealing to little boys, mm-hmm. you know, um, little boys think that that's really cool. Uh, so that's part of it. And yeah, I guess I never grew out of that <laughs> to some degree. Um, and so uh, th- there was that part. And then I was going to have it be about the conquest, you know, the, to be uh, linked to that, the Spanish conquest. And I didn't go that route because that took two years. And the Aztec Empire is, a you know, like from 1200 to 1320 or so, you know, it's it's a long time. It's uh, it, plenty of time for more time than two years for like a multi-generational campaign if you want to run a long-running campaign within that setting. And the culture's interesting enough and the myths are interesting enough, I think, to warrant them standing on their own without relying on what everyone knows the Aztecs for uh, is their conflict with the Spanish. So mm-hmm. I guess uh, I guess those would be my reasons. Gotcha. Yeah, it's, it, it's interesting to kind of take a look at the Aztecs kind of through the lens of their mythology because... I think there's been a lot of writing and discourse and fiction and nonfiction all kind of built around the Aztecs fall, but there's been very little or at least very little in English that kind of explores Aztec mythology and really, I guess, kind of, you know, portrays Aztec fantasy as it were. Yeah. You know, um, when, when we think of Aztecs, we think of like two things, which is human sacrifice and the Spanish and the conquest, you know, and their conflict with the Europeans. And then there's, there's, again, so much more interesting stuff to, to delve and dive that you can use in your games or to inspire you um, within that, because this is a whole fully fleshed out, fairly advanced social structured society uh, that existed for a couple hundred years as an empire. And so there's, there's plenty of material there. Like their, their empire has lasted about as long as the United States, you know, it's, it lasted for that long. And like, we have so much mythology within our own country, you know, and, and this is a, 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 like essentially a stone age culture to some degree too, based on the weaponry and whatnot, that the, the mythology and everything is even more rich than something that's somewhat modern to us with our, with our own country in the United States. So, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, there's a lot to explore there, and so I'm, I'm hoping that people are they dig it and they they have fun with it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, already in chat, we've got some good questions here. Uh, Ryan Heffelfinger, the curator, wants to know: uh, Did you look into the tunnels underneath the Aztec pyramids uh, that some speculate are connected to precursor civilizations? And have you uh, you know thought about making adventures kind of around exploring those tunnels? Yeah, that's definitely an option. Um, but I've said this on other streams too. Like underground caves and things like that, um, these were, they held a different significance to the Aztecs than they did to what we perceive in the West, in our Western mindset, especially within the classic D&D mindset of like, when we look at a cave uh, in, a D, in a traditional D&D game, we see it as, there's a cave or there's a dungeon. If we go into the earth, the deeper we go, it's going to get riskier, but uh, you, there's more treasure. There's more loot. There's more things for us to be had to bring back to the surface and 
you know, make ourselves rich, make ourselves wealthy, like gold, obviously in, in old school DD, gold for XP, it's the prime motivator for getting players deeper and deeper into dangerous places. The Aztecs didn't see subterranean things like that. Um, caves were con and, and these subterranean places were considered sacred, sacred wombs of the earth. You know, uh, mm -hmm. there would definitely be like mystical, potentially dangerous things down there, but it's a different perspective. So trying to tackle that with still being true to the culture and their views is tricky because an Aztec warrior, for instance, a Jaguar warrior, an Eagle warrior, he'd be more concerned about victory on the battlefield, sabotaging enemy camps, um, bringing back sacrifice victims and, and slaves, bringing back, back uh, tribute and loot to his city state. He wouldn't necessarily be like, oh, there's a cave over there. Let's go explore it. There's probably stuff there for us to take. Uh, if that makes sense. So mm -hmm. it, it's a fine line between like, uh, you don't want to like overlay too much of our modern sensibilities over, even in this respect, over, over, over them, in my opinion, if, if that makes sense to answers the question, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I guess to kind of piggyback off of Ryan's question there, there there's a lot of, historical i don't know if you want to call it historical revisionism or i guess like re-examination of the aztecs i'm thinking specifically of people like ram hancock who have gone back and looked at aztec records um trying to determine kind of like were there advanced civilizations before the aztecs because it, it certainly seems from their writings that there were because role-playing is so often kind of built on the idea that you're living in a post-apocalypse, is that something that you played around with at all in, in this game? A little bit. Uh, let me unfreeze my camera real quick. Um, that's always awesome. <laughs> <laughs> See if it works. Gotta love technical difficulties. Uh, anyways, go. yeah. Uh, let me move it here. I got my green screen. Um Yes, yeah, so there were previous civilizations. There was the Toltecs and the Olmecs, and the Aztecs were very keen on trying to link themselves to these people because uh, they were all about rewriting their own history. Uh, the Aztecs, part of why they were so successful is they're masters of propaganda. It's what makes delving into their history very complex because there were very many, there were a lot of emperors that um, destroyed previous historical records to change the narrative to be what they wanted it to be. Uh, in order to give themselves a right to rule over the other tribes of the area, the, the other factions and clans. Um, but uh, as far as a post-apocalyptic thing, it does kind of fit because the Aztecs believed in multiple suns, multiple worlds previous to their own. Uh, they would say their sun was the fifth one, and there was four previous worlds to theirs that had been created and destroyed. And I sort of lean into that within uh, Makuhita, where there's there's sometimes there's elements of those previous suns still out there looking lurking in the hills and in the jungles and in the forests uh and in the wild places that you could run into giants and inhabitants of the of the previous sun that could be a problem uh for for the player characters and their city state so it's not quite as on the nose but i think i think why it works is because i i agree that dnd obviously is a post-apocalyptic thing there's a post-apocalyptic element to that where the, the points of light, some people use that term, are trying to rebuild society in some in some case. And 
the Aztec to a great degree were really trying to do that as well, especially with their mythology of, again, previous worlds and previous suns that had fallen into ruin. And uh, mm -hmm. they were they were now the new keepers of this new world and they didn't want to lose it. So. Yeah. Now. This just kind of occurred to me. And again, this is this is territory I'm not at all familiar with, but you are, uh, you know, both someone who has grown up um, kind of around Latin culture and you're also a musician. Specifically, I know that you were into metal for a little bit. And I just have to ask, is there any Aztec metal out there? Because <laughs> Aztec mythology is very metal. There's Viking metal. It, has anyone like kind of crossed those streams? Uh, yeah, there's a there's a band from I think they're from Guadalajara. Uh, they're called uh, Semican. Hmm. Um, it's spelled C E M E K A N, or C E M E C E C A N. Sorry, uh, Semican, and they are uh, they're pretty good. They're like a little like thrashy death metal band, and they go out on stage. They do like they do like the kind of corpse paint, but mm -hmm. they uh, they make it like Aztec style, you know, like Aztec war paint style. Um, I shared a, I think I shared one of their um, songs on stream last night on Natural Ones. But uh, there's Azatlan. There's um, there's another one I can't remember their name off the top of my head right now, unfortunately. But they have a little more like a symphonic power metal um, vibe to them. So yeah, the the uh, the Mexican people have definitely, um, as far as like metal is concerned, they they've made that connection and uh, leaned into it. So nice, <laughs> I love that. I, now. I say this as a huge power metal fan. Uh, I I don't think Aztec necessarily fits within the power metal oeuvre. I think I, when, when I think about Aztec mythology, I'm definitely thinking doom metal. I'm thinking kind of Sabbathy sounding metal. I haven't heard any doom metal bands that were Aztec, but or Aztec flavored or or influenced. But um, maybe. maybe Nah, some uh, some again is too fast. They're too thrashy and death metally. Yeah. Um, that'd be an interesting one, though. Most most seem to lean into like the brutal, because uh, they want uh, that that Latin rhythm that those uh, Aztec drums. They kind of lean into that. A lot of those bands, mm -hmm. which I think kind of leans into like faster paced music in a lot of yeah. a lot of ways too. Which do metal can be a little slower, but mm -hmm. uh, I'd be interested in hearing that do metal mesoamerican influence band that'd be interesting <laughs> and, and that might just be from kind of again a lot of like texas metal a lot of uh western metal has kind of that doom uh inspiration in it uh the ones that aren't doing the uh speed metal motorhead thing mm -hmm. a lot of them are very like southern sludge is a whole genre in and of itself mm -hmm. and so i guess that's kind of where that's where I'm making that connection in my mind, but you know, either way, it sounds fascinating and I should probably give that a listen. Yeah. I, Semikin is the biggest one that comes to mind. They're pretty good. I think people would probably enjoy them. If you're like metal, you probably enjoy them. Yeah, absolutely. Now I, I just have to ask, um, did you stat Quetzalcoatl? I did not. I didn't stat <laughs> any deities in this game. Uh, okay. I, I TS already did that. Um, hmm. in deities and demigods so find a copy of that but if you, if you want that to happen if you need stats for gods but this is a game where I, I wanted the gods to feel kind of distant um, 
mm-hmm. and and the players are not necessarily going to like hey it's it's a mishkawadal over there let's go fight him you know yeah. uh that i that wasn't how i envisioned the game and you know i i i'm a big again a proponent proponent of rules equal setting and Mm-hmm. Uh, if I don't give you stats for that, it kind of means that uh, you can't do it. I guess you could try and make stats yourself, but um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, that, and that's kind of the the double edged sword of statting your gods is it as uh, as Noah Antweiler, the spoony one, once said, if you stat it, they'll try to kill it mm-hmm. just because they can. You know, someone's flipping through the book and sees that you statted a god they recognize they're going to try and hunt him down and see if they can take him um, yeah which i think is what happens in a lot of planescape games but i i do i like that idea uh that that you mentioned there of the gods being kind of distant because then you're mixing in some like kind of dark sun feelings of some people believe and some people don't um I guess in Dark Sun, no one believes, but there's this distance there where even if you are kind of crying out to the gods, you're not nece- you're not going to be face to face with them ever. Like the gods are are fickle. They're like, um, you know, mechanically speaking, we can talk about this part in the game. Um, the way you acquire spells is through a reaction roll made to the gods, and this reaction roll could be modified by offering sacrifices to the god, as well as the the zodiac sign that the the petition to the god is being made on because the gods are sort of like it's it's one of those cultures where it's not like our judeo-christian culture where um god is this is all always right always good all knowing all everything you know uh this is a, a a realm where there's different gods over different aspects of life and the material world and they have their own motives and motivations that are sometimes at odds with each other um, some of these have caused ends of previous suns, so it definitely takes like a different, um, a different approach, I think. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not it, so. What I mean by distant is just that like the the gods just aren't going to come down and, and and physically manifest themselves to the players. Right. Um, it, that's just not going to happen uh, because I wanted to keep it in the game in this sort of it's historical with the mythological elements kind of tuned up like they're 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 Mm. tuned up to a a level that wasn't historically actually there um if that makes sense you know like the spell casting and stuff like that is a little more like a a higher level than what would actually occur in an aztec society but it's sort of like if this stuff was real um and believable what would it look like it was kind of my approach i guess Mm. So to address one of the things that you brought up as kind of a, a staple of everyone's knowledge of Aztec civilization, does sacrifice um, and, and like blood sacrifice specifically play a big role in kind of the, the way that magic is cast or ha- how is that utilized in the game? Some, some spells um, require blood. So there's like a spell called like bloodletting. Some curses require you to draw the blood of the victim. You know, you need to actually draw their blood to to cast a curse curse on them um and you know that was just because it was linking back to aztec and and mayan um belief where like for instance mayans they often believed uh in bloodletting um that the king whoever it was the divine had the divine connection 
and it was through the through the the royal line that they could use their own blood uh, for divination. And so, you know, for the Aztec, Aztecs, blood is powerful. And I do give like that classic. It's not in OD and D. It's not in zero E, uh, but components because I felt like components add flavor to a spell. Mm -hmm. uh, so a lot of spells have components like you know, a shard of obsidian or a piece of jade or bone fragments, like the, the fragments of a human skull or something like that. And for instance, like a human skull, where are you going to get that? Well, you're probably going to have to take it from someone if you yeah. catch my drift. So, uh, yeah, you know, the, the, the flavor is there that I tried to put in the magic to make it feel like this fits the setting and it's still in that Vancian spell slot system. It's just the acquisition of spells and the spells themselves, as far as their flavor is concerned are more in an Aztec flavor, mm -hmm. but uh, 30, 37 spells. Most of those are new. There's probably like a handful of spells that are just reskins of traditional ones that I felt are necessary from original dungeons and dragons that needed to be written for an Aztec setting. But most of the spells are are brand new, so you, thirty seven of them. Uh, there's probably like thirty two of them that are that are completely new and original that you haven't seen before. So those should be fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of an interesting thing that you mentioned there, um, adding in the the concept of spell components because uh, one of the things that you've kind of been open with. Uh, you know, those of us in the Gilded server and, and on your own show is your struggle with the uh, the system itself and what's going to actually drive uh, this game. Mm -hmm. And it, you ultimately settled on white box D&D. &D. So, you know, tell us a little bit about kind of the decision making process that went into landing on this is going to be a white box compatible game. Um, there's a couple different reasons. I mean, I tried writing this for BX first and it didn't really work out very well. Uh, I tried writing it for AD and D. Um, that didn't really work very well. And it's not that these are bad games. It's just, it didn't, you know, setting informs rules. And then I started trying to write this in the white box rule set. Um, you know, I was reading the three little, uh, Tan books. I was reading Delving Deeper. I was reading uh, Matt Finch's White Box, uh, fantastic medieval adventure game, and it all just started to click. Especially as I was starting to write it, because it's a little more gritty. It's a little more um, sword and sorcery, I guess, and that fits really well with the Aztec setting. I felt like um, it's just one of those things. Like I'm, I'm a kind of creator where I, I, I base a lot of things on feel. Um, hmm. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. Like sometimes like the math for stuff, like I've talked about this with atomic punk, like those, those tables, uh, weapon versus armor. I viewed those as, as art, almost like trial and error where I was rolling 2d 10 and seeing what felt right. Like, obviously I was looking at ratios and, and probabilities and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But another part, another component I feel of, of that is like, how does it feel at the table? That's really important to me. So when I'm writing mechanics, um, I'll, I'll start it in something. And if it doesn't feel right, I'll, I won't force it because I know that if I start forcing it, uh, it won't work. And sometimes I'll, I'll step away from it. If it's not working, I'll be like, okay, maybe it's just that it's me, you know, um, I'm forcing it and I'm just not in a creative place for it right now. So I'll step away. I'll work on something else. I'll do something else. And if I come back to it and it's still a problem, then I know it's, 
the underlying system that I'm trying to work with or design. And so, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it, but a lot of it's just feeling and, and white box zero E just, it just felt right. Mm. Um, when I, as I started writing for it, it just clicked and it just, everything else felt like I was fighting the system as I was writing it. But zero E felt like, uh, as soon as I started writing with that in mind, it just took off. And I guess the final thing I'll say is I feel like the zero E rules need a lot more love. Like, um, I, I, you know, I see Jeffro Johnson in the chat, you know, he's, he's, uh, always talking about AD and D, which is a great system, great game. I love it. Uh, you know, we got plenty of people, myself included that talk about BX and, and make stuff for BX, but white box is one of those like little niche within a niche places that kind of needs a little bit of love too. I felt like, um, and it will still be compatible with, with any other version of D and D that is a TSR edition, you know, won't, won't take too much conversion, put put hit dice on a d8 instead of a d6 you know that kind of yeah. stuff but um it, it'll be relatively easy so yeah i don't know it just felt right <laughs> yeah there's there really is something to that uh that sense that you the game has to feel right um it's one of the great <laughs> intangibles of role playing and one of the reasons why play testing mm -hmm. is such an important process because like everything works on paper, as they say, you know, theoretically you could run everything through a BX engine just as long as you swap things around and do this and that, but not every genre, not every type of fantasy or every type of uh, adventure has the same feel to it. And so using something that's very specifically designed for medieval fantasy in an Aztec fantasy game there's going to be kind of a, a disconnect there. And it's a matter mm -hmm. of how, you know, how little work does it take to bridge that gap? Mm -hmm. And you, you see this with all kinds of things. It's, it's one of the reasons why uh, so many of us have started, you know, saying you can't just run everything on a BX engine because it doesn't work for every type of game. Uh, you know, Westerns have a different feel. Superheroes have a different feel. There's all mm -hmm. kinds of different, ways that games are supposed to be played based on the genre based on the uh you know type of adventure that you're trying to emulate um so i it really is for a lot of people a matter of experimentation to find that right system rather than just saying i'm i'm picking this system and now i'm going to do everything i can you know knock down every wall uh you know unscrew every bolt just to try and make everything fit the way that I think it should rather than yeah. saying, I'm going to try and find what fits best here where I can make, you know, the, the fewest adjustments to actually make this thing work. Yeah. You know, and you have to be willing to, uh, you know, I think the reason why a lot of people do this is because, and crafty says it here. Yes. OSR is becoming another tag for BX compatible, like five E compatible. And I think that's what it is. It's, it's sort of become a marketing thing. Like, you know, mm -hmm. and I don't fault people for doing it, you know, go out there and, uh, and make that money. You know, I have as a capitalist, hundred percent support that. Yeah. But, um, I guess my, my drive, my, my capitalism is tempered by, um, that artistry that I have for the stuff that I make where it has to feel right, you know, and um, if it doesn't feel right, sure. I could still put it on B on BX and say it's BX compatible or old school essentials compatible and, and make more money that way. 
or I could actually make the game play the way I think it should feel and make a little bit less money, but be better in my conscience and better in my feeling of what I made and actually a little, more, a little bit more proud of it, even if it's not as successful as it maybe would, would have been otherwise if I just shoehorned it into the popular system. Um, I'll, I'll feel better about it. I'll be able to sleep better at night. And I feel like I'd rather build what I'm building with my name and the stuff that I make off of that than just using it's compatible with this as a marketing thing. But again, if, if that's what someone else does and they're able to be successful at it, um, that's cool. You know, um, like I tried to make cow punchers BX first and it didn't work. Mm -hmm. At least for me, you know, it didn't work, but, um, you know, Miguel and Sylvia over at the Red Room did Wretched Country, which is a little more BX-based cowboy game. Granted, they they add a little bit more Weird West stuff into it, you know, because everyone loves their Weird West. Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's uh, they're able to do something that I felt like I couldn't do. And so sometimes when I say like it didn't feel right, it just didn't feel right to me. It didn't work for me. And so, you know, I, I can only work with what I have and what I know and what I feel. Um, someone else might be able to do what I can't and that's cool. Uh, that's what makes the hobby so neat. But, uh, for me, I, I gotta be able to, I gotta be able to feel proud with what I, what I'm doing at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And even kind of, you know, going back further than where we are now with, uh, you know, OSR and 5e compatible, uh, all the way back in the early two thousands, the, the D 20 boom, as people like to talk about. Um, all of those games, it, most of them are awful. Most of them, when you read them, it, it, they don't work. They don't work well, but someone slapped the D20 compatible logo. You know, mm. that, that's why Green Ronin as a company exists right now is slapping <laughs> a D20 compatible logo on, uh, you know, just, you know, what IP do you want? You know, we, we've got superheroes, we've got, uh, you know, role-playing in, in, a bible setting we've got like modern military all kinds of stuff uh th there was even a really really bad wwe d20 compatible game in <laughs> like 2003 it's it's awful it's sitting on my shelf somewhere over here i i just have it for the lulls but it's like people have done that and they've done that even long before the osr long before yeah uh 5e compatible it's a lesson that people have struggled to learn in kind of RPG design. And so, yeah, maybe it's not as marketable if you don't have the, the trendy buzzword on it. But I think a lot of people would rather buy something they're unfamiliar with than buying a like bad version of a system that they already have plenty of games for. Yeah. Yeah. It and I don't want to like be mean to other creators that have made stuff and, you know, put their heart and soul into something, but not, not every game is made equally, you know, I, and I'll admit that my stuff that I make has flaws, you know, tonic punk has a lot of flaws in it as typos as things that are a problem in it. You know, cow punchers isn't a perfect game. Um, but people seem to like that stuff because I think what people appreciate with what I do is that I take, I, I try and take ideas that, um, generally probably shouldn't be too marketable, like in Cowpunchers, you know, straight Western. Uh, who wants to play that? Everyone wants Weird West. You know, we got uh, uh, 
Savage Worlds, you know, Wild Weird West stuff. There's um, the DCC-based one, you know, uh, Weird Frontiers. Mm. There's lots of stuff out there. And, like, Boot Hill and Aces and Eights is, like, the only Hard West stuff that we have out there. And so, like, that's that's what... And they're both good games, and that's what I'm. That's what I would be competing with, but you know, people saw the care, and despite its flaws, that I really tried. I tried to do something um, my own, and I think people like that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and and then same with Atomic Punk when I switched it to 2D10 and really tried to hearken to a lot of different games that I like, like Classic Traveler and uh, BX and and Zero E, and kind of mush it all together into one game. I think people appreciate that too. And then with this, it's like with Makuhito, it's like I wasn't sure if people would be interested in, in playing in a Mesoamerican setting. You know, we're so inundated with Western fantasy and sci fi and a lot of things like that. And it's like, and this is such an alien culture, an alien thing that um, I, I kind of threw it out there. And I was, I knew some, I knew some people would be interested, but I didn't. No, I I thought this Kickstarter, for example, would be a nail biter to the end. You know, I thought I'd still be like, I thought I'd be like fifty percent funded at this point and biting my nails. Like, am I gonna, am I gonna make it? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I think that's what people like about what I do. Um, as yeah. I I like old school games, but I don't um, I don't adhere so rigidly to like it must be BX, it must be this, it must be that. You know, I do. Yeah. I do what I want. <laughs> mm. And and I'll tell you the the answer to the question who wants a straight up western game is this guy right here. I <laughs> and I do own a copy of Cowpuncher sitting behind me uh over here. Awesome. Uh Jeffro, uh I've not played Boot Hill but that sounds like a lot of fun, so I I should try that out. And uh Victor Gorchev is here. We uh we have the Dutch invasion. <laughs> And uh, for anyone wondering in the chat, uh, this is not me trying to insult John. This is a nickname that was given to him by someone we don't talk about on this channel anymore. Yeah, we don't like him. It's okay. But he made a funny name. He, he, he did. He, he intended it to hurt me, and I think it's hilarious. So, yeah. But yeah, I mean, one other thing I wanted to talk with you about um is kind of the art style. Uh, we see a lot of black and white art in the OSR, and we also see a lot of black, white, and red just kind of in art in general. However, mm. there's something about this setting where this kind of familiar style really... I, I think you really kind of bring something out. There's there's a very historical feel to the, the black and white imagery and then the the red uh, pops kind of, I, I think, add some additional, uh, you know, color and stuff to to the proceedings. It's, it's a really cool art style. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I can't. It is very cliched. And, you know, I, I saw Victor's book. I, I'll, I'll admit, like, I saw Victor do it with the modern necessities. And I'm like, that looks really good. And uh, I almost didn't do that color scheme with this. But I was like, it fits with the with the setting it just fits really well like blood red and black like obsidian 
on a white page. Like it's just, it's very appealing to me. Mm -hmm. And so I just went, ah, screw it. You know, uh, I'm going to do it. And it's not like Vic was the first one to do it either though. But I just, I, his book was what made me think about it. Like that, that just right. looks really nice. Um, so at first it was just splashes of red in the text. And then as I, as I was doing the art for it, I was like, I should go back and do some of the art and like, uh, places where there's blood or things like that. Like I should, um, I should add, I should add red into the art itself, not just the text. And that was when it really, I felt like started to pop and look a lot more appealing, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, and we got the final look that we see now. So. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> and, uh, Jeffro again, the Muppets take Tenochtitlan. <laughs> and then they get sacrificed on an altar. That's, that's fantastic. I'm imagining Kermit, you know, you got four Aztecs, two of them pulling his legs, one, two of them pulling his arms. And it's just like, I don't know, maybe Gonzo can be the priest. He's like mm -hmm. ja jabbing a uh, obsidian blade into his chest. Yep. You have Dr. Teeth and Animal playing the drums. <laughs> They're like, Tlaloc is pleased. Ah! Does his arms flail? <laughs> Sam the Eagle is the god. Oh, yeah. He he could be Huatulpalakli uh, or something. Pochtli, you know. Um, yeah. As well. The god of war. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. I, we accidentally stumbled onto something fun. Oh, that would never get made. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, but that would be funny. That'd be it great. Be. So if you don't mind, we, we have a little bit of the uh, PDF here. I, if, if you like, I can go ahead and share this so that people can, can see yeah. some of this. And I want to start on uh, something that's going to end up being a kind of essential tool for anyone who's running this game. And that is the uh, pronunciation guide. <laughs> um, and, and there's a whole history behind why the game is called Makalhitl that I think a lot of people have heard. Long story short, someone wrote an Aztec uh, fantasy series mm -hmm. of novels called Obsidian and Blood, which was your, not original, but your kind of preferred name for this game. And so out of respect for them, you went with your original, original idea, Makalhitl. Yeah. Uh, I was going by Obsidian Blood for a while, and then someone on, on Twitter pointed out to me, "Is like, is this have to anything to do with the novels? And I was like, hold up, the novels? What are you talking about? And they're like, yeah, is this like a trilogy of books? And they linked to like the, the Amazon page, and I was like, damn. Someone already took this name, and Obsidian and Blood is just so good. And I looked it up, and it wasn't trademarked or anything, because this was like an indie author, you know, someone like me. And I was like, I, I'm probably okay to use the name legally but um as a fellow creator as a fellow indie creator as a fellow small time person just trying to make it i was like that's a real that's a real jerk move i'm not going to do that uh so i changed the name back to makuhitu uh because that was what i originally wanted to call it and um some people gave me crap for it some people said i should have kept the name some people said i should have found some other name in english but I don't know. It. Um, I almost feel like the unpronounceable nature of the word and having people struggle to say it kind of adds an element of uh, an appealing element to some, uh, to some degree. Mm -hmm. You know, like what is this? Uh, there's this weird circular calendar on the cover. I don't know what this word is. Oh, it says Aztecs. 
on it. You know, uh, I do think there's an element there where I feel confident that obviously the Kickstarter funded uh, where people are, are okay with that title and I'm happy for that. So, yeah. Yeah. And the other thing that I think is cool about the title, um, Muckleheetle is a weapon and there is mm. a proud storied tradition of naming RPGs after weapons. So yep. that was another part of it too, you know, uh, you know, you got like Warhammer Fantasy, you got all kinds of stuff like that, you know, mm -hmm. that are um, named after weapons. And it just seemed appropriate because this is a very definitely like a very warrior based game. You know, we have your your spellcaster class, but uh, this is definitely a game where you're going to be playing a, a warrior. So. Mm -hmm. yeah, and as far as warriors go, I mean, looking at some of our uh, classes here, you have, you know, the eagle. um you also have the uh, the Jaguar, which I think this is the Aztec warrior that I'm most familiar with, uh, mm -hmm. kind of largely due to Deadliest Warrior. But <laughs> yeah, this is this is the class that I think a lot of people are going to be fighting over. Maybe, maybe once I read the stat block, so if they get if they roll well enough to be an Atomi or a Shorn one, uh, they might want to be those. But mm -hmm. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Shorn ones are essentially like the paladins of the setting. So they were like the elite of the elite. And uh, uh, they eventually get spell casting, as you can see there at level seven. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And then there's also a merchant class here, which. That's kind of an interesting one, because a, lo a lot of people. Will look at a game like this and maybe not necessarily think, uh, you know, I want to play the merchant, so. Now, talk a little bit about this. I'm not familiar with this role uh, kind of within Aztec society. So what like what kind of brought about this this class? Who is this to kind of your average Aztec? Uh, the Pachteca were merchants. They traveled from I mean, this is where you got goods to go between towns. You know, they wore these silly headband backpacks that, you know, uh, around their head and they traveled from you know, city state to city state bringing goods. Uh, but they also functioned as spies for their city state. So you're out there, you're, you're getting to the city of a, of a, maybe a foreign enemy city state, you know, maybe a, maybe a, an Aztec Pachteca is in uh, the Tlaxcala Confederacy and they're looking at uh, Tlaxcala and they're, they're spying on the, uh, the Tlaxcala Tecas in order to, to, uh, Get information so that when they go back, you know, they made a little bit of dough, they made a little bit of money, but they can tell their rulers like, hey, you know, when I was in the town, I saw that their fortifications were a little sus on, on this part of the of the fortress or whatever, you know. So um, that's kind of the role that they play in the game. And, and that was something that was often uh, a part of their role within the history of things as well as, as spying on the foreign places that they went. Maybe it was even a um a tribute city that they went to but you know if they saw elements of uprising or or rebellion within that city state that was paying tribute to touch to not uh, maybe they bring that info back so that the army can go there and sort of uh quell that a bit hmm. yeah it's it's interesting how often merchants can serve as spies you you get a little bit of that in the aforementioned dark sun uh, but it's it's one of those kind of interesting aspects of uh, history and fiction where uh, everyone's going to kind of, you know, 
give entree to someone who is trading, but the person who's trading then has uh, the ability to talk to all sides and, and has access to more privileged information that people don't think to give them. This is kind of really an, an interesting, uh, almost rogue type character that that people will be able to take on. Yeah, it's like a, they're like a rogue, but it's more of a social sort of manipulation thing and not so much like picking locks and stuff right. manipulation thing. You know, they get a, they get a boon to reaction rolls. They, as you can see here, the observation and travel, they're less likely to get lost or they're because they're traveling all the time. So they know the terrain, they know these places and uh, how to, how to find their way back. So it's, a, I wanted to make a class that was like, all, all the classes are decent at combat. Obviously some are better than others, but I wanted to make a class that was uh, not, that wouldn't step on the toes of a fighter mm -hmm. uh, as far as combat ability, but wasn't going to be weak, but then also offered something to a, an adventuring party, a group of players that might be very useful. And, you know, right. Traveling is, is a, in my opinion, is an important part of, of an RPG. So having those traveling skills and, and face, face skills is important. Yeah. And uh, Immortal Rising comic book, uh, is asking about how sacrifices work. We talked about that earlier in the game, but or earlier in the the night, not the game, rather. <laughs> um, but that's kind of part and parcel of spell casting. And here we have, uh, you know, the the priest class here uh, to to talk a little bit about that. And so, um, as, as John was saying, kind of earlier in our interview, uh, some spells require a blood sacrifice. Some require uh, components that can only be found from, you know, dead bodies. So uh, <laughs> that's where, you know, sacrificing comes in to, to play there. And also um, capturing, we can talk about that too, capturing foes. So uh, I, I modified the rules to be like traditional od and I like the basics of the, um, I like the basics of advancement in od and of like, it's just 100 XP per hit die so you know two hit die creature 200 xp um and especially with deadly combat it makes it worth it and when you're really funneling players into combat like this game does uh deadly combat it, you should give them a good reward but you if you kill an enemy uh, a human foe you're going to get their base status point value it's instead of xp it's status points but it's translatable to be one and the same uh, if you are able to knock them unconscious and take them prisoner, bind them up and take them back to your city state, you get five times. Uh, other warriors, other fighters, other human individuals are the loot themselves. Obviously, that's controversial, but you know that's what the Aztec warfare was all about. They had whole flower wars for prisoners, uh, where there wasn't for terrain, it wasn't for territory, it was for sacrificial victims and slaves. Hmm. Uh, uh, they had specific warfare for this. So um, that that is also an important part of advancing your character. So getting victims for sacrifice back to your city-state is a method of advancing your character's level and gaining status in Aztec society. So it's, it's an important part of that. Mm. Yeah, and if you shied away from that aspect, you'd be kind of doing a disservice to the setting that you've chosen here yeah you know the the aztecs uh people focus on kind of the raw deal they got when when the spanish arrived but 
the Aztecs were not exactly like the kindest culture. No, they were highly, highly militarized. There's a reason why in straight up warfare, uh, Cortez should not have won. Hmm. Uh, he should have lost. And and he didn't go in militarily at first. It was a series of unfortunate events that led to, to all out warfare on Tenochtitlan. Um, but the, the, the Aztecs were not liked by a lot of their neighbors. They people definitely that were not of the Aztec people, the Mexica people, uh, as they call themselves. It, those that rule that were ruled by them, that underneath them were they chafed under their rule. They did not like it. Uh, it was not a, a good experience. You had to send to the Triple City Alliance. You had to send slaves. You had to send tribute. You know, you work the field, and a percentage of that, a large percent of the of that, is going to go to your your masters in Tenochtitlan and to the emperor. You have to send maybe your son or your daughter a sacrifice to them. You have to, when the army comes through, you have to give them food. You have to give them lodging. You have to give them these things, uh, and you don't have a say in the matter. So uh, that's why when the the Spanish arrived, the Tlaxcala Confederacy was like, yeah. Uh, after some combat with the, the Spanish and testing their military ability, they're like, yeah, we'll side with you because we don't like that. The, the Mexica, we don't like the Aztecs. Like, let's take them out. We agree with you. Let's do it. So, you know, that that's, that's why it was the way it was. Now, uh, Rex Teal has a good question here and, and you've alluded to some of this already. Um, he would like to know what sort of adventures or scenarios kind of work best within the setting uh, and you've already kind of mentioned that the Aztecs weren't the kind of people who would be dungeon crawling just because of their views on uh, those sites being, you know, kind of sacred. So what kind of adventures would people kind of best run in Makalitl? I think that the, it's going to be a war game to a greater extent. You got to treat it like warfare. So uh, the players are going to be trying to conquer. I give you a timeline of events. So when I play tested this, I started it at, in the era when there wasn't the triple city Alliance and Tushkoko was not, uh, and Tlacopan were not part of this triple city Alliance. It was just Tenochtitlan. And, uh, so the players were able to attack places like Tushkoko, which would later become allies and part of the triple city Alliance. So you're going to be waging warfare. You're going to be fighting other city-states. You're going to be raiding enemy camps. You're going to be traveling through the wilderness to ambush foes. You're going to be doing all kinds of stuff like that. There's room for maybe finding an Olmec or Toltec ruin and exploring that, of course. Finding relics of the ancients and things like that to better establish the 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 right of the emperor to rule over everyone because again they were masters of propaganda and wanted to link themselves to the Toltecs and the Olmecs and show their right to rule as as a, a royal bloodline. You could have that kind of stuff like oh there's some ruins here let's let's see what's in it um, and I've I've done that in the play test as well it works just fine but uh, I wouldn't say there's going to be these long mega dungeon dungeon delves into these these places I guess you could try that if you wanted to the game will work. But, um, you know, uh, and Immortal Rising asks, what about an adventure into Shibalba? Well, that would be the, the Mayan underworld. Uh, Mictlan was the Aztec underworld. Aztec warriors wouldn't want to go there, uh, unfortunately. So you, it, it sounds like, a, you know, oh, the Aztecs had this whole underworld society, but or underworld mythology, but a warrior wouldn't want to go there. 
A warrior wants to die on the battlefield. Uh, they don't want to go to Mictlan. Mictlan is a terrible place where your body has to go through nine levels of purification and they're all terrible before you get to paradise. And this is after you die. You have to walk across hills of glass. You have to um, survive crossing a, a river and hope that a dog will help you cross the river. You got to uh, all this to get to a point where pretty much you become detached from your soul and kind of become, you kind of lose yourself and become one with the cosmos essentially. Whereas an Aztec warrior, if he died on the battlefield, he'd get to go to Tanatua, the sun God, he'd get to be in his retinue uh, and, and follow the sun along the sky as he as as Tanatua the sun god would would come across the sky like that's what a warrior wanted um and earned so unfortunately as as much as it seems it's set up perfectly for that lore wise mythology wise i don't think an aztec warrior would want to go there mm -hmm. and now uh immortal rising does have another question uh that i i have not actually heard you talk about this um when it comes to research that you did for this project, you know, what were some of the, the sources that you found most helpful? Uh, in the PDF, I do link to an Appendix B, which lists all of the books that I use. But there was uh, one book called The Handbook to Aztec Life that was really good. Uh, there was one on Aztec Warriors. I'm forgetting the names and the authors of these. Um, oh, you're bringing it up. Perfect. Yeah, Handbook to Life in the Aztec World by Manuel Aguilar Moreno. Uh, Aztec Warrior. Uh, by John Pohl, PhD, uh, Dr. John Pohl. That was a really good book if you want to know more about warriors. Um, and then the rest are like philosophical or codices type things, like if you want to understand their religious or philosophical aspects. So I list these books here. Um, I think all of these are still in print that you should, you should be able to get your hands on. But these are all books that I referenced and used uh, and in particular, I would say that Maya to Aztec Ancient Mesoamerica Revealed uh, by Edwin Barnhart. Uh, it's on the Great Courses. It's a really good long multi-part. It's a long multi-part series of lectures. They're each about 30 minutes long, but it's really good. And you'll get a lot of cool little bits of information about the Mayas and the Aztecs in that um, in that lecture series so it's a video, video video lecture series it's really good so if you have a great courses account i'd highly recommend it mm -hmm. and uh, black lodge games here in chat asks a question about uh scenarios in which a warrior would have to go to the underworld before death um and and if i'm not mistaken uh like the that game that they play the the one from road to el dorado the losing team was sacrificed. So if you ended up like being sacrificed to a God, would, would you end up having to go on a quest kind of through the underworld? Well, if you lived to old age, going through Mictlan itself was a quest. <laughs> so uh, there's, there's nine levels again in Mictlan. And then that was just, if you lived to old age and died of um, natural causes, uh, like you had to jump through these mountains that would just like, they're just these giant mountains and they'll just smash you if you go through and then your soul's annihilated. But uh, I guess you could try and set up something like they believe that caves were again, passageways into the womb of the earth and it, to Mictlan itself in a lot of respects, because they believed the 13 heavens were all interlinked to each other. So you could, you could as a, as a referee try and craft, like there's an ancient relic or an artifact that we need to defeat our enemies, you know, and 
we need to send warriors into the underworld to retrieve it because it will help us help us beat our enemies. And there, there I guess there is precedence for it. Like uh, Quetzalcoatl went to the underworld to get the bones of humans to uh, bring them back to the surface and use his own blood to resurrect them to to make people of the of the fifth world our world. That's that's why uh, he's so revered in their culture is because he used his own blood to bring them back to life. So. You you could um, there's there's precedence there, but like it's just different like in the, than in a D and D game where you're walking along and you see a cave in a traditional game and you're like let's go in there what's in that like an Aztec warrior might be like uh, you know say a prayer to the gods and keep moving so you know uh, I, it, I guess it's just context and how you handle it. Mm -hmm. Now, do you think that uh, like adding rules for playing Olama Litzel? would be kind of an, an interesting addition. Maybe I kind of wanted to keep it like, again, very human. I don't know if I'll yeah. go that route, but oh. I kind of wanted, I wanted to keep it kind of human and grounded. Like there's no, there's no races in this, right? Like there's no, right. um, yeah. every, everyone's human. There's no, um, there's nothing like that. So I, I, it, it's kind of like cow punchers. Like if someone wants to do that, go ahead and, and make that happen. But you probably won't get something like that from, me i guess <laughs> yeah fair enough but yeah i mean even even kind of leaving aside the uh and it, it would almost be like playing basketball in a D, &D game but you know it, it might be an interesting thing to do if, if someone wanted to try to add a llama litzel rules to uh this game that that might be you know an avenue that that someone could explore mm-hmm uh, yeah, like I said, I, I would not be mad or anything like that if someone did that, made a custom mm. class or anything, and and I want to do that. But uh, yeah, it's it's like I said, it's kind of like cow punchers. Like I didn't go weird west with cow punchers. I left that up to you know, like Lord Mateus made a weird west supplement for that. So it's like cool, you know, if you want to use if you want to do weird west cow punchers, you can. But um, that wasn't. It's not my taste. It's not my flavor. Like there's, I'm I'm very uh, stubborn, I guess, in my mindset of like. Yeah. Uh, you know what what i envision it being hmm. but that doesn't mean i'm gonna like shut someone down who wants to to do something like that go go for it you know right now kind of moving past this uh you know initial campaign that you're working on i know you know with with 19 days to go it's it's weird to think about kind of moving beyond it but um what are your plans kind of for makuhito once the uh you know the base project is released well, I want to touch on the Spanish. Uh, I'll probably do a, a class supplement for that. And that'll probably be different. I'm trying to, the reason why I didn't add them in this, even as like an, a, an appendix thing or something like that is because they're going to function. They're going to have to function so much differently from the Aztecs. And they were kind of mucking everything up when I was trying to include them. It's partly why I took them out. Cause I wanted to make sure the Aztecs were right and correct and felt right to me and felt historically accurate. Uh, but I do want to include them. So that's definitely something I want to do. I want to maybe do some adventures, you know, uh, some campaigns, some published campaigns would be good. I think a campaign where the, the Triple City Alliance is around and you're waging war against the Tlaxcala Confederacy or one of the other kingdoms like the Zapotec people uh, would be really cool or all of it, you know. Uh, and maybe maybe classes and, and uh essentially codices kind of like what uh, castles and crusades does for for other tribes like maybe maybe really shine a light on uh, the tlaxcala tecas or 
the Zapotec people or something like that and really uh, really shine a light on them and, and show like this is their culture, maybe provide some classes from that culture so that it gives refs and GMs more options. Um, but I don't want to feel like I'm, you know, uh, excluding things that you might need. But because uh, Makuhitha will be plenty enough. There's plenty enough content in the book itself for you to run a full and complete game. So I'm not like doing like the EA thing where I ship an incomplete game and then right. hope, hope you get the DLC to complete your game after you spent $60 on it. Like uh, that that's not my goal. Uh, just more. It's a supplement that's actually just a supplement to an already complete and finished game. Mm -hmm. um, but I want to do stuff like that. Maybe maybe some information on enemies more. So if you want to run a campaign from the perspective of, of the enemies themselves or have the players fight them, uh, I think that'd be cool. Gotcha. And I know like people have probably inundated you with this idea uh, over and over again. But when the Spanish established kind of their viceroyalty in what's now Mexico, they had diplomatic relations with the Japanese. So if you wanted to even add like samurai to the game, <laughs> I guess technically you probably could. I guess. I don't know how historically accurate that would be, but I'd have to do research on that. Because mm. um, but again, maybe that maybe that it might be something where it's not necessarily historically accurate, but if someone wants to make that, uh they, they can. I'll have to look into that. Mm. That that would be interesting. I know people love their samurai. <laughs> My my understanding is that a couple samurai did actually uh, visit the vice royalty of Spain in Mexico. And so there, there might've been a little bit of overlap, but it was definitely not uh, like a common thing for just samurai to be running around with the Aztecs and the conquistadors. I guess there could be an adventure where, you know, maybe uh, you play as uh, Spanish or, or Spanish and Aztec warrior who's allied with the Spanish and you're, hanging out with some of those guys to visit it or something and something happens. But uh, that, that could be interesting. A little, little alt history or expansion of those events. Cause I'm sure those events were boring. I'm sure that the Japanese samurai showed up and it was all nice and cordial. And then they went back home and yeah. nothing, nothing of interest really happened beyond. Oh, cool. Samurai came to Mesoamerica, but uh, <laughs> yeah, the there's probably not some kind of scenario where a samurai in full armor like fought five jaguar warriors or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll see. But again, if someone else wants to make that, they have a cool idea. But I I guess that's another thing too is like I have to have something like really speak to me to make me want to do it, you know. Um if I if I find myself like half-hearted, on it, then I'm probably not going to do it. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so for people who have not already backed uh, the campaign, like I said, has 19 days to go. It is fully funded. And uh, your options here are um, the, the one that I went with is the, uh, the hardcover. You can also mm. do just a PDF. You can do a PDF and a POD soft cover. Um, and I believe those are the uh, the options uh, that are available. I think looks there's like there's a one. there's hardcover offset plus mm -hmm. print on demand plus PDF. So I gave that tier because I know some people like to have their nice version of the book. Uh, so you can give um, 
you can have your nice hardcover in front of you at the table as a GM, and then you can give the print-on-demand version to your, to your players to abuse and yep. get their 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 Dorito fingers all over, and they don't have to they don't have to touch your nice your nice version of the book. So, mm-hmm. and then you get the PDF too. So, yep. yeah. And then uh, th- this has actually been kind of a trend uh, that I've been happy with amongst uh, like friends of mine who've been doing Kickstarters. No stretch goals. No, people are asking me if I'm going to do any, and I, I've kind of been thinking about it over the last few days. I don't think I will. I've had someone reach out to me to do a, a Spanish translation, which I'm mm-hmm. very interested in. And if the Kickstarter does really well, I would probably be able to afford a translator because my Spanish isn't good enough to, to do this. But this is a guy from uh, uh, Guadalajara who uh, was, messaged me and he's like, hey, we're really interested in your game. And if we could get a Spanish translation, it would probably do very well down here. Um, so I... That's definitely on the on something I want to do. Whether whether I can pay for it with this Kickstarter or maybe somewhere down the line make that happen, uh, we'll see. But it's definitely something I'm eyeing is uh, translating the game into Spanish. I do think that'd be important. And yeah. it, it, it it's the, it's the culture of the Mexican people, and being able to play this in their own native language would be uh, that just seems like a no brainer to me. But mm-hmm. it's just my Spanish is not strong enough being a being an American-born um, Latino uh, Hispanic individual, to where I don't feel comfortable translating it myself, um, but we'll see. But yeah, no, no stretch goals. I, I feel like that's where you get in trouble, and I don't want to. I don't want to jeopardize this by offering something that's going to slow fulfillment down or make it put me in the hole. That'd be terrible. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's why it's a a trend that I've been happy with recently is because. There have been so many horror stories of people getting, uh, you know, wrapped up in stretch goals now, ultimately, like taking a bath on their campaign because of it. So I'm glad that people are focusing on just, you know, putting out a, a good product. And as for the the Spanish translation aspect, I, I think that is a very good uh, thought that, you know, if you want to do something like that, you want to make sure that it's the best possible version mm-hmm. of that that you can release so that people who would read this game in Spanish are, you know, getting the best version of it. They're not getting something that's kind of wonky. And then that turns them off of the game. I I think it's good to wait until the resources are there to do it properly. Yeah. And the way I viewed this Kickstarter and partly why there's no stretch goals is because, um, I, I, I viewed this as pre-orders. Like, as everyone has seen, the PDF is pretty much done. The book is pretty much done. Anything that I'm adding is just purely, like, icing on the cake. Little edits here and there, trying to catch little typos and problems that I'm finding. Um, but the book is done. It's been play-tested all summer. Uh, it's it's done. And uh, I solo-gamed in it, too. Um, so I know it works. I know that the game functions. So I, I just needed I just wanted money to fund a nice offset print because this book is very special to me. And mm-hmm. so yeah, I just viewed this as like this is just pre-orders and this is a that that's that's why there's no stretch goals because <laughs> I don't I don't need to do anything. I don't need to like, oh, give me a, an extra five thousand dollars and you'll get a new you'll you'll get a, you you unlock the Eagle Warrior. You know, I'm not gonna <laughs> that's lame. I'm not gonna do that to people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My my mission's always been like I want I want to support myself and my family doing this kind of stuff and and 
I've enjoyed doing that, but I'm not here to like rage your wallet. I'm always about trying to offer affordable gaming. And I think $32 or $38 for a hardback and $30 for a hardback and a print on demand plus shipping. Um, print on demand and a hardcover is uh, it's a pretty fair price. Like Atomic yeah. Punk is $14, you know, for a full uh, hundred something page book. You know, Cow Punchers is a little more expensive because that's on premium paper, but I still try to. I still try to make it so that it's it's always cheaper than um, than trying to buy something from Watsi or something like that, you know, or right. it's at least on par with that. Because hmm. I'm not trying to raid your wallet. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's a lot easier to get someone to try your game when the buy-in is a little bit lower, especially when the product that they get is like quality. Because mm -hmm. a lot of times the, the thing that turns people off of new game systems is I don't want to pay another 50 to $70 for a whole bunch of books and then find out that I don't like this game. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, keeping it in that kind of affordable price range, I think does kind of serve you well. Yeah. And, and I think I'm able to do that because it's just me. Um, I, I have the benefit of doing the writing, the layout, the art all that stuff on my own, you know, there's, there's no other person on this project other than me. And so I don't have to pay. I'm only paying myself and I'm not really paying that much. So I'm able to pass those savings on to you, <laughs> you know, to get, to get into my Billy Mays, uh, salesman, uh, mode, which I'm terrible at, but, uh, you guys get the point. And, and not enough cocaine in your system no. for, for Billy Mays. No, there's that. Hey, there's that guy Gax Billy Mays connection there. <laughs> <laughs> the secret ingredient is cocaine. That's the secret to success. Dang. <laughs> well, we are kind of running out of time here. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I, you know, this has been a great conversation. I'm glad that we were able to do this. Uh, for those of you who are not currently backers, if you are watching after the fact, you'll be able to find the link to Kickstarter pinned in the comments. For those of you who are watching right now who are not backers, uh, you can back it right now uh, using that link that I just dropped in chat. Um, any final thoughts or anything you want to leave people with as we're uh, closing out the episode tonight? Yeah, you know, uh, the hardback is going to be very, very limited run. So um, it's going to be hardcover. Uh, red foiling on it smithstone book with a with a ribbon because uh, i like i want to make i want to give you a nice quality book and that's what you're getting at the 32 dollars tier plus shipping i think shipping six dollars us so you're getting it for 38 uh total and uh there's probably going to be only a limited number of those and once i sell out of those um because there'll probably be some left uh once i sell out of those i don't know if it'd probably be a long time before I ever would consider doing maybe another crowdfunding campaign to print more like a second printing of that hardcover print on demand will, will be available if you want that, but uh hardcover will be um, very limited. So, uh, you know, I, I want to offer something nice, but it's, there's not going to be a lot of it. I'll just say that. <laughs> gotcha. All right, guys. Well, that is going to do it for uh, Rolling Bones this evening. Uh, next week, we'll be back here at the same time. Not sure who we're going to be talking to or what we'll be talking about, uh, but you can stay tuned to uh, see all of that. Uh, remember to go check out this Kickstarter. And also remember, 
the basic expert has a YouTube channel as well. So definitely watch his content. He's live every Monday night with uh, the Netherlands number one sex symbol, Victor Gorchev. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they do natural ones. He's got videos that he puts up. Uh, you've really been putting some like cool production into your videos recently too. So uh, yeah, I've kind of neglected my channel a bit aside from the the streaming because this is just this Kickstarter is eating up my life. Yeah, but uh, I'm gonna get back to it. I, I have some ideas for videos, and I'm trying to with everything I do. I'm always trying to do better than I did before. So yeah, I'm trying to make my videos a lot more enjoyable to watch, and less rambly and more uh, more produced, I guess, but higher quality still. Not not uh, not cringy either. I hope they're not cringy. <laughs> they haven't been. I'll, I'll put that out there. I, I think cool. they've been very good. So, all right. Well, guys, thank you so much for uh, watching this evening. And remember, whether you rolled a one or twenty, I'm so glad that you rolled your bones with me, Ryan Howard. And I will see you all next time. See you.